Amen. What powerful. I am just blown away with what God has done. When I tell the story of Thrive Church, the story of God's gracious hand among us, like, like we, 10 years ago, we did a series in Nehemiah. It's the first series we did. And the story of Nehemiah, which I'm not preaching on today, is that they had to rebuild this wall. They were understaffed. They didn't have enough resources. And as I begin to study about the history of Nehemiah, 52 days was actually uh, way faster than anybody ever would have thought, one-third of the time that it would have actually taken. And it's been amazing because I preached that believing God would do the same for Thrive. And guys, it has been short of a miracle um, of what God has done here. It's not the story of Kevin. It's not the story of a great staff or great people. It's a story of God's faithfulness. And I want to encourage you. Oh, before we even clap. I want to encourage you about something. I don't know what your position in life is right now. I don't know what your marriage looks like. I don't know what you're going through. But I'm telling you, if you will lean into the Lord and get serious about prayer and reading Scripture and seeking Him, God can do anything in your life. Amen. It's just, I'm excited. It's happy 10th, right? So today, guess what? Afterwards, we got food trucks outside for you, man. So uh, we got food trucks on site today, places for you to take pictures and selfies. Um, just a special day. Uh, I'll be going to the Richmond campus after this and then celebrating with them as well and sharing God's Word. And if you're new with us, we're actually finishing a series called Church Hurt. And we've been talking about how the church has hurt people and how we have all been injured by church in some way, shape, or form. And so today, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Well, um, if I name these bands to you, I'm not sure if you'll get the connection or not, but if I said you know, the Eagles, or if I said Pink Floyd, or if I said Simon and Garfunkel, you're probably thinking classic rock, right? You're probably thinking, okay, I'm, or maybe you're thinking that's my mom and dad's music if you're younger in here. Okay, what about Oasis, the Brothers Gallagher? You guys remember that? You know, today's going to be the day. So uh, I, I could keep going on and on with these bands, but I mentioned these names to you. All these bands had something in common that they were known for. And I want to talk to you today about how those bands and the local church actually have a lot in common, and I want to draw a parallel today uh, for you with that. Well, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi that he loved this church dearly. He planted it on his first missionary journey. Now, before we can read Philippians, I want you to understand that just the beauty of the church at Philippi reminds me of Thrive a little bit, because Paul, when he first gets to, to Philippi and lands there, nobody had heard the gospel that he knew of yet, like nobody. He gets there, he meets some women praying, and there's a lady named Lydia who was the seller of purple. He meets her, and she was someone who actually was a fashion designer. And she was in Philippi and Ephesus. She was like, you know, L.A., New York. She was very affluent, but she actually led a prayer gathering of people who just believed in God. They had not given their life to Christ yet. Paul preaches the gospel. They surrender to Jesus, and, and you know, Lydia's like, hey, look, let's, let's sit up camp in my house. Let's start church here. Well, as Paul's ministering in Philippi, there's a young slave girl who is um, actually involved in witchcraft and slavery. And so what happens is he preaches the gospel. Boom, he prays for her. She's delivered from witchcraft and from demon possession. She begins to serve Jesus. This poor slave girl now is now serving Jesus and joining the church there. Not only that, Paul's put in jail for doing it because he hurt somebody's business because she helped bring the guy business. So he's in jail, and uh, you know, long story short— the guy there, Jason, he ends up giving his life to Jesus. He's a government official. He's a guard there. 
And so him and his whole household, he's like, look, look, I'm not just serving Jesus. Y'all all going to serve Jesus. We all getting baptized today. We all serve Jesus. I don't care if you like it or not. And Jason's household gets saved. So in that church, you have Lydia, the rich fashion designer, lives in multiple cities. You have the poor slave girl who is delivered from witchcraft and demon possession. Then you have the government official who just works a mundane job every day. He just, you know, he works at the local prison there. And there's this beautiful, diverse church that God is working in, in Philippi, and became one of the most influential churches, one of the most giving churches to Paul's missions. If you read later on in Philippians 4, he talks about how they supplied for his ministry to go and share the gospel. He said, now God will supply all your needs. That sounds beautiful and great, and I painted a really pretty picture. But in Philippians, Paul shares in Philippians verses 2 and 3 something really strange. He puts some people on blast publicly. Now, this is the same as being on the internet back then, right? There was no Gutenberg Press. There wasn't newspapers. There was like, you know, Quill, and you had to write. It took a long time. But he had these letters circulate. It went to the church at Philippi first. And as they're sitting there, they would sit in one, one sitting, and they would read the whole letter to the whole church, right? You think, like, my sermons are long. Try sitting for about you know, 45 minutes listening to nothing but somebody read that letter. And in the letter, he calls a couple of people out. And we're going to talk about those people today. He writes this. He says, now, I appeal to Yodoya and Syntychiki. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. What he shares here is that you have two ladies who have a disagreement in that church. And this is what I love about the Bible. If you're skeptical of the Bible, that's not real. You know, my professor at university said that, you know, that's all made up. Well, it's not. You can't compare the Bible to any other religious text because of this. When you read, you know, any of the, the writings, of, writings of Confucius, you don't see things like this. This is a real man who had a real love for a church with a real disagreement going on that was hurting that church. And Paul writes and calls those two by name. Could you imagine them sitting there and having no idea? Like their name comes up like, we good? No, 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 no. We're, we're fine. Like, you know, after service, they're getting together, talking, trying to work things out. I don't know if it was like, I don't know what their disagreement was. Paul never shares with us. I'm not sure if the church potluck, they kept each bringing potato salad, and they were trying to compare, you know? Like, one of y'all got to bring green beans, one of y'all got to bring potato salad. You both can't keep bringing the same thing to potluck, like, you know? Well, my potato salad's better, and they got I don't know what the disagreement was, but they had a disagreement that was so serious that it's recorded in the Scripture, and that's what I love about the Bible. There's real things like that in there. And it was serious enough that Paul wrote to the elder of the church at Philippi to deal with it. And what hurt Paul was that these, both these ladies helped him advance the gospel. They were very fruitful for ministry. They just couldn't get along together. And it was important to Paul to write this. And I want to share with you today um, Satan's plan for church hurt. We talked last week about how church leaders hurt the church. I want to talk to you today about how the church hurts itself with self-inflicted wounds. And so if you have your notes handy, write this down, because here's today's big idea we can get from the church at Philippi, is that Satan uses division to destroy. What did all those bands have in common that I named? They couldn't get along, and they broke up. Pink Floyd, still arguing today over stuff. 
lawsuits and all types of stuff going on. The brothers Gallagher that were, you know, Oasis, the brothers couldn't even get along. These bands made great music. They brought joy to people. They made money off of it. You think, hey, this is their dream as kids to do this. And now they destroyed the band because they couldn't get along. We have something far greater than the music that they produce. We have the gospel in the local church that we get to share the hope of the world every week. We get to send money to missions and people to missions, and we get to do so much for community partners. And I believe our church makes beautiful, quote-unquote, music. It has nothing to do with music. It's, it's what we're producing for the world, which is Jesus, right? Giving people a chance to put their faith back in Christ again. But can I tell you this? Like, I don't care how good the church is, Satan will use division to destroy. Now, these messages I, I write are, are way in advance. I didn't write this because something's going on in our church. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm glad we are a healthy church. The reason that we are a healthy church is we talk about this stuff. Because this matters to Jesus. Our disagreements with other believers, our divisions with other believers, those things really matter to the Lord. And here's how Satan can use division. He uses different types of divisions, but here's just some of the ways. Uh, the first is offense, that when you get offended about something, there's a book written that was great called The Bait of Satan about offense, that literally what offense is, it's Satan's way of setting bait out for you to get in the trap and get hurt because you're offended about something that somebody um, may have done or said or, or didn't do. And a lot of times we get upset with someone and offended, and then it gets into our heart and causes bitterness and anger. Like offense is like, imagine if you get cut, you get that cut, and then bitterness is when it begins to fester and doesn't heal well. And then as, as I've said before, infection goes through your whole body and it kills you because you were offended by something. And we have to learn to be able to be above offense. You know, one of the things about Christians, we should be the, the easiest people to forgive others and the hardest people to offend. Sadly, about myself, I'm, I'm easy, easily offended, and I find it hard to forgive others. That's the story of most Christians, right? And probably maybe your story like mine. It's just I'm, sometimes I get offended really easy over things that really don't matter. But that's one of the ways that Satan brings division into a church, into relationships, is offense. The second is just conflict. That's when you just have a disagreement. There's a standoff. You just disagree about how something should be done. And that conflict comes in, and immature babies just don't know how to resolve conflict. Like I'm teaching my son at seven, let's resolve, stop elevating your voice, son. That's not how you resolve conflict. Stop being defensive. We're going to learn how to resolve this conflict maturely. Let's talk about this. Conflict is when two people have issues with each other, just like Eudoia and Syntychiki. They had issues. Conflict arises. Satan will use that conflict to destroy the best of relationships. And then finally is gossip. You guys all know that with church. If you've been in church any amount of time, there's the gossip people. They all go out to lunch together. They have prayer meetings together, right? You know it's not prayer meeting. They're like, well, let me tell you, we need to be praying for her. She's, she done moved him, that guy, and she's shacking up with him. Oh, we need to be praying. Yeah, we, oh, we sure do. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you else we need to pray about. You're not praying, you're gossiping. <laughs> and, and gossip is one of those things where you poison the well of someone else about somebody who can't defend themselves. What did you think about that sermon? What's your thoughts on it? I'll tell you my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Over, and, and it can be true. 
Do you know that even gossip can be true, but with the wrong intent? The intent is to hurt someone or sway them to not like someone or something else. And so slander in the Bible, in the Bible, whenever you read that from Paul, Paul says, don't let any slander come out. That's actually telling the truth about someone with the wrong motive and intent to get that person that you're telling that to, to change their mind about that person. And you, and you see that all the time. Oh, man, the, the problem with our culture this day and time is we're fighting a losing battle because we're following both political parties who love to call names and love. We're in the season right now where it's, let's see how, how much we can just defame the other person. Let's see how bad we can make the other person look in that party. We'll do anything and everything as low as we can go. I watch both sides as low as we can go to absolutely defame that person. And now we got to take cues from that type of culture. That's not what God's called us to because Satan will use that type of mentality, especially in a local church, in Christian relationships, to destroy it. And so here's what we have to understand. This is why this is important, guys. And this is something that if, 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 if you don't think that it can happen to you, as I said last week, when moral failures happen, this can happen because this can sneak into you because you will be able to defend while you are at a standoff with someone. Why you won't forgive them, why you won't, why you won't even break bread with them. But here's what happens if that's you. Some believers don't realize their divisions are causing them to be double agents. Let me explain that. Some believers don't believe, believe that, and understand that their divisions are causing them to be double agents. What's a double agent? You've watched the movie before, right? And, and, and finally, at the end of the movie, you find out the guy that was on the good team with the good guys, he's actually working for the bad guys. And he, the whole time, he's been just subverting the team, subverting that group, subverting the good guys. He has been working for the other, other group. Now, a lot of Christians don't know they're double agents. They don't know they're working for Team Satan because he's the author of confusion and division. And they have no idea that their gossip and the slander and the conflict and the immaturity and not working with people, and all they don't realize that they're actually working for Team Satan when they do that. Team Jesus is much different than that. And a lot of well-meaning Christians have hurt the church and destroyed the local church because of it. And see, I didn't know anything really about church. I attended with my grandparents off and on when I was young. As I've told you before, one was Methodist, and we recited the Apostles' Creed and said, Amen. Uh, after every song, right? So you know that? Cool stained glass windows. And the other was more of a country Pentecostal church. It's just Scared me to death. It's very entertaining, but I, I was just scared, right? So, I, so I'd, I'd go from one extreme to the other. I didn't know much about church. And when I gave my life to Christ at 20 years old, I, I went, went all in for Jesus, just boom, left, you know, burned the, the, the ships, went in for Jesus, and I became a member of my local church and really got involved. I tithed, I served. I was just like on fire for the Lord. And I'll never forget when my friend Brett Cooper, who's the youth pastor, said, hey, man, we got the church, annual church business meeting tonight. You're a member. You need to come to it so you can vote. I'm like, what is that? Right? Some of you know, know what annual church business meetings are, don't you? <laughs> they discuss the budget, and everybody comes in. And, and I tell you what, we sang some songs together, and, you know, and we all get to heaven. What a glorious day that'll be. And everybody's just happy. I was like, this is cool, okay. We're singing. It's like church service. And we sat down. The pastor went up and started going. He, he started, and everybody had the budgets. And then one guy stood up and started screaming and yelling, what is this in the budget? What does technology mean with worship? That's not 1999. <laughs> Why we got to spend $5,000 on technology? This is ridiculous. What's that Rodney Hall over there doing? What's he even doing as a work? I don't even like the music. And, it's too and then, dude, he sat down and somebody else stood up and started yelling and screaming. I'm thinking, 
whoa. And I'll tell you what happens to a young man at 21 years old. These were the gray-haired, silvered men who I respected, who made, they were very well off in the community. They owned radio stations and grocery stores and in our little small community, and I lost every bit of respect I had for them. I thought, man, these are the most immature, this is ridiculous. And we sat there and we sat there, and I just got even more, because they were yelling at each other. And I just didn't know the church could do that. That's my first introduction to how the church can end up destroying itself. Now, Satan can use division to destroy. And what, ha- what was happening there is this. In 1999, in rural North Carolina, that church had went from 120 to over 250 in about four months. Not only that, it went and began to reach different social economical classes. It became multiracial. And in that day and time, if, if, you, if you say this, and that interracial couples, which my watch Colombians, so if you're like, what do you mean by that? Like, like, you know, like, like the church began to fight each other over all those things. Beautiful music, man. God was doing something beautiful. God was transforming a community. The gospel was going forth. This church was growing and reaching people. Man, it was amazing until Satan used the double agents in the church to start to destroy the church. And if you would have sat down over lunch and talked with them, like, no, I'm not destroying the church. I don't understand why we got to spend $5,000 on technology. That worship leader, I'm like, you're like, it's too loud. It's too this, too that. You're like, dude, you're a double agent. You're destroying the work of what God's doing. And to be honest, the church got to a certain point that the pastor who I got saved under ended up leaving, and it never, it never just took off any more than it ever did in that season. And I'm coming to tell you today that that same thing can happen to us as believers. Same thing can happen to this church. You know, Paul wrote this to the church at Galatia, and he says this to him, and this is what I kind of experienced in that business meeting. There's a reason we don't have those type of business meetings here. Amen. Just for the record, I believe hell will be one long church business meeting. (laughs) Amen? Galatians 5.15, Paul writes this to a church. He says, but if you are always biting and devouring each other, one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. So what do we do? We don't want to be double agents, do we? We don't want to destroy the beautiful thing that God's doing. And here's what you need to write down today. Here's our action step I want you to write down. Is refuse to be a double agent by resolving the conflict. Say, I refuse to be a double agent. I'm going to resolve this conflict. I'm going to clear the air. We may not disagree. I may not even like you after the, after the conversation. But we're going to work together, just like Paul is calling out to these two ladies to advance the gospel. Because the gospel is more important than how I feel about somebody else. That's what we're going to do together. We're going to advance the gospel. Refuse to be a double agent by resolving that conflict. One of our staff values and volunteer values is this. It's called rapid resolution. And if you go to our offices over there in our small group area of that house right across the street, you'll see seven little, you know, I don't know, canvases up there and seven sayings. And one is quickly fixed, it's quickly forgotten. We're going to resolve conflict here at this church. And here's the reason why. In my life, I have no drama. You know, you, just, you, know, you talk to people all the time, like, oh, I got drama with this and this and that. And there's always got drama around them. You have as much drama as you want to have. Because, folks, I ain't got any. And any time the red flag of drama comes up, I'm going to distance myself from you. Because I don't need drama. 
The other thing is this, here's what I've learned. I learned this from a boss that I work for in, in the customer service realm. I got this from him with rapid resolution, quickly fixes, quickly forgotten. He said, the moment that a customer has an issue, the faster we can fix it, the quicker they'll forget it. And that's what we do here at Thrive. That's why Thrive's a healthy church. That's why we, we're not perfect, but we're healthy. Because I want to be a drama-free zone when people walk in. Do you know, I have, I have this, this little sense. You ever been somewhere you can smell dirty diapers? Anybody know that? I, I can smell dirty diapers. Like, There's just a stench to them, especially when you have kids. And if you walk in somewhere and somebody's left diapers in the, the, the trash can, you can smell them. You don't know where the trash can's at. But you can go into a church and just sense that tenseness between people. Right? Have you ever seen my I, I've walked in churches and it's just like, something just, oh, it looks good. Wonder what's going on behind the scenes. It's the same thing that conflict does. So we got to refuse to be a double agent by resolving the conflict. Now, I, I could give you seven ways to resolve conflict from something online in an article. I could give you this or that. But I want to show you the Christ-centered way of resolving conflict. Because in Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 2 something called the Christ hymn which they would recite, many scholars believe, as the, a hymn in the early church there. And he shows us Jesus and what Jesus' main characteristic was when he came to earth and uh, God coming in flesh. And look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and it says this. And Paul leads into it, and it's about humility. Humility. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And I love this in verse 5, because I believe in it, even in this, he's trying to hint to Yodoya and Syntychiki, even in this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, what was that attitude, Paul? What type of attitude did Christ have? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I Meaning he didn't come out here boasting about it, saying, hey, I'm the man. You serve me. I'm, I'm, I'm the son of God. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, watch this, he humbled himself, the word humble again, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names and that the, the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is the way that you resolve conflict. That's the same attitude Christ had. Humility is the opposite of being prideful and arrogant. And I believe that if we adopted this attitude of humility more, then God could do more with us. Because pride is the very reason Satan got kicked out of heaven, right? It was arrogance. It was pride. And the very reason that we can stop the work of God is pride and arrogance and my way. So when you're in a conflict with someone, no matter whether it's in church or whether you're at home or at your job, there's three, I say three ways, three sayings of humility that I would want to submit to you today. And the first one is this, it's saying I'm sorry without being defensive. It's saying I'm sorry without being defensive. I'm teaching my son that right now. So like he's trying to learn how to play with friends because when he plays with me, I let him do whatever he wants to do. 
Like, we play Fortnite. It's like, dude, you have, have whatever inventory you want. You want to take that. I'm good. You can have it. If we're playing Legos, he gets the cool Legos. Whatever it is, he's my boy. I let him do it. Where his friends come over, guess what? He expects the same thing. And his friends are like, no. I mean, they're just, they're just, like, kids are just all out for, like, just all out for blood, man. You know, like, just, wow, I don't want that. You know, I watch them play these little made-up games inside, and they're all about themselves. And so he gets in trouble. So the other day, his friends all got mad and left. And they're walking out the door, and he comes down, and when he gets mad, he's, I can't tell these stories for long as he's seven. One day he'll be a teenager in here, I can't do this, so I got to do it now, right? And he comes out, and when he gets mad, he snaps, he comes out here snapping, and he says, but they're not, they're not doing this, they're not listening to me. Not. I said, dude, you've made your, your host, their guest, you've made them mad. Yeah, I know. He says, I said, you got to go tell them you're sorry. So here's what he does. Hey, guys, guys, guys I'm sorry, but you're not listening to me. I'm really, no, no, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, but, but you got you to do what I want you to do. And I'm like, that's not, you're not sorry, buddy. So his friends all leave, and we have to, we have to talk about, look, you, you can't do that. You can't say, I'm sorry, but here's why I did that. And I watch people do that. I've tried to get people to get together and, like, work things out, and I've listened to them say, well, I'm sorry, but. And I'm like, oh, that big but's going to destroy every relationship you're in. Because then you start to defend your position. I mean, you, you can tell someone, hey, I'm sorry. I, I was just trying to do this, but here's what I've realized. It hurts you, and I'm really sorry. And anytime you hurt someone, you've got to identify those feelings and say that. So anytime I hurt my wife, we have a, we have a say. I can't defend my actions, but I can say I'm sorry and try to make it right. That's the that's first step of humility. People who are prideful will always justify. They'll say, yeah, well, I'm sorry they got hurt. I'm sorry they felt that way. But... I would do it again. That's pride. The second is this. You can disagree without being dishonorable. That will preach in our climate today, right? With election season coming up, you can disagree without being dishonorable. Another thing with my son we do, we have little affirmations we do every morning, and we do these together before he gets in the car, and so we, and, and we have three affirmations, and then what I do is I, I say, look, let's talk about it later on um, when you get home, and I'll let you know where I felt at and what I need to do better. So his first one is, I will do my best. The second is this, I'll respect others even though I disagree. And third is, I'm great no, no matter what others think. And the, the second one is the one he struggled with the most. He got in trouble the day because he told a little girl, he's like, yeah, he said, I think cheerleading sucks. And I was like, you can't, he said, no, but, but I don't like it. I was like, but you can't say that. Because she's talking about how awesome cheerleading is. Like, he's seven, he's learning. So, but the, the point is this, you can disagree with someone, you can disagree politically, you can disagree about your faith. I can, I can sit with an atheist and not be dishonorable to them. And that's the second part, is you can disagree with someone without dishonoring them. You can still honor them even in a disagreement. And then finally is this, humility is shown by giving others the same benefit of the doubt you give yourself. We don't do that though. Oh, they were out to get me, I just know it. Oh, you just don't know. No, actually they weren't, they, yeah, no. Oh, they, they, they just don't like me. I've never heard them talk about you. I don't think you're on their radar. Usually what we do is we think the worst about others immediately, right? We should give others that same benefit of the doubt that we give ourselves. Don't you have bad days some days? Don't you come into church and you just got news, the doctor's report that one of your loved ones has cancer or you've had a, someone got laid off, maybe you got laid off at work and you're just down. You don't want to talk to anybody. You walk by that person, you don't even see them and they're trying to wave at you. 
They think, well, they just don't like me. They're upset with me. It's like, nah, they, they just found out that their mom has cancer. Oh. Get the same bit. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. We love ourselves. I mean, we are, we are kind and gracious and forgiving. And we can justify anything, can't we? When it comes to somebody else, oh, no, no, it's off with their heads. Man, they're, they're done with. People are humans and they struggle. And I'm telling you, if you're going to operate in humility, let people have bad days too. Let them have emotional days. Let them go through things. If you're married in here, that will preach, y'all. That will preach. Amen. Somebody got that. Some days, your spouse is going to just have a really, really bad day. The other day, I didn't know why. My wife's like, what is up with you? Like, you know, who poured sour milk in your cornflakes? Of course, she didn't say that. We have another saying. <laughs> Some of y'all got that, right? And I'm like, babe, I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I just feel like blah today, and I don't know why. I have no clue. She's like, that's cool, but can you, like, just be nicer while you're, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try. I just feel terrible. Give people that same benefit of the doubt as well. Because Satan will use conflict to destroy everything God wants to do in your life. Not only the local church, but relationships that God wants to work in. You can have the choice to be a double agent or to be a super agent. And those super agents, like, like the Marvel superheroes, you see all these things here, the super agents resolve conflict. They solve more problems than they create in life. And if you adopt a Christ-centered humility about yourself and ask God, God, please help me to have the same attitude Christ had, I'm telling you, your relationships in every way will flourish in your life. And that's my prayer for you. And my biggest prayer for you and the church is this. We don't, have, we don't need to hurt each other. God's doing a beautiful thing. I thank God that this is a drama-free zone. But if we don't pay attention to something like this today and look at the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians and realize that that even in the greatest of bands, even in the greatest of churches, Satan will use division to destroy. And what we have to do, individuals say, nope, I'm not going to let them use offense, gossip, or conflict to destroy any of my relationships or destroy anything that God's going to do. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we need your help this morning. We need humility. I, I pray for those in here today who are struggling with something in a relationship or uh, God, I don't know if it's in a church relationship. I don't know what they're struggling with, but Lord, you have this message just for them. Holy Spirit, help us be humble before others, Lord. Help us to have the right mindset to be super agents and not double agents. And Lord, help us to protect the church and not hurt the church. Lord, we love you and we praise you for everything that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you're always at work even when we don't see it around us, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and those watching online, this is a sacred moment for us. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've come to church, you've done church things, but you've never went all in for Jesus. Or maybe you got hurt by church, or you, got, or you got hurt in life, and you walked away from the local church, and you said, today, I want to be this uh, today where I give my life back to Jesus again. I don't know where you're at today, but this is your day for that decision. Right where you're at, where you're at pray this prayer after me. You say, God, 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself with good works, being a good person. But I believe that Christ is Lord. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. Today I repent. I turn from my old life. And I receive full forgiveness of sins. I receive your Holy Spirit. I receive salvation. In Jesus' good name, I pray. Amen.